If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you will bring your Bibles with you each week. I know we put scriptures on the screen, uh, but there's something about holding the Word of God in your hand. There's something about being able to make some notes along the way and to look back on those things and to, to, uh, to recall the things that we've talked about. Uh, so I hope that you will, uh, will you bring your Bibles with you when you come. And it's always good to hear the pages of the Bible turning and folks finding their place in that. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews for the next several weeks. And uh, I, I've really been drawn to the book of Hebrews uh, long before I took off on my sabbatical. Uh, I was spending a lot of time in the book of Hebrews. And uh, God just keeps bringing me back to that, that book. And I think it's because it reminds me of a true story that uh, is, um, is one that's just kind of fresh on my mind. It's the story of a young boy who was raised uh, in a Christian home, like maybe many of you were. He was taught very early uh, the difference between right and wrong. Uh, as, a, as a child in a Christian home, he learned that you, 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 there is right and there is wrong. You, you do right and you're applauded. Uh, you're recognized, you're, you're rewarded. You do wrong and, and you're disciplined. Uh, even in a loving way, you're disciplined, you're corrected. Uh, you're kind of brought back to the, to the rules. Um, this young one was, deter- uh, was, was determined that it's, it's, it's a lot funner to do right and to be rewarded than it is to do wrong and to be punished. And so uh, learn to keep the rules. And at times the, the rules would collide with this person's heart. Uh, the, the, the flesh would want to go one way and the rules would say to go another way. And, and, and when that takes place in any of us, we begin to feel this struggle between I know what needs to be done, but yet I really want to go do something uh, that's, that's contrary to that. And, and, uh, and so when these rules collided, this person learned to, to either to, uh, to, to fight the flesh and to win that battle or to find a way to give in to the flesh, but to conceal it and to hide it from those around them. As you may know from your own life, uh, when that struggle happens, we get really good at pretending on the outside that everything's okay, even if it's rotten on the inside. And the story of this, of this young boy, it's, it's this battle that rages inside, and, and then one day uh, he hears the gospel, and he learns that salvation is by grace, it's not by works, and that God offers a forgiveness that is real, and a forgiveness that, that removes all of life's past sins and mistakes, and and this young kid comes to know the Lord and comes to uh, enjoy this relationship with, with Christ. Uh, sins are forgiven. The load's lifted. This, this new joy uh, comes. And, and yet for him, it wasn't long um, that he begins to get this subtle message in church that if you love Jesus, then you will. And they fill in the blanks for you. If, if, you, if you really love Jesus, here's the, 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 the ten things that you're going to do this week. And that message begins to, to take root, and he begins to struggle to do those things. Uh, but as for all Christians, I think, in, in this guy's life, what happens is that the struggle begins to, to become real. The, the honeymoon, if you will, of the new birth begins to kind of fade a little bit, and, and now the, the struggle's real, and, 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 and guilt comes because sin's still alive and sin's still there, and, and there's this, this struggle that's going on inside between what's right and what's wrong, and what do you do with guilt? I mean, I know that salvation removes all of our sins past, but what do we do with the sins today? And so this boy tried harder, uh, served more, uh, and others noticed and others applauded. And it wasn't long until he kind of fit into that system, that religious system that said, I can do good and I can make it. Uh, we've all heard the saying, you pray as if everything depends upon God and then you work as if it all depends upon you. And that, 
message kind of took root in that life. And slowly, uh, the grace that had saved him becomes overshadowed by these rules and these works that now sustained him. And the problem was that no matter what he did, he was never quite sure that it was enough. I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you can relate to this young man, but this is the story of a lot of Christians. Um, And in the midst of those doubts, in the midst of those struggles, God shows up, not with a bigger to-do list, but God shows up with his grace. And God says, it's all been taken care of. There's nothing left for you to do. It's done. You're accepted. You're loved. You belong to me. And that message of grace comes alive again. And it's as if God says, hey, stop trying to add to my grace. Salvation and the Christian life is not grace plus. It's just grace. And it's the grace that God gives us that allows us to to live for him and to love him and to serve him. And the moment that we take grace and, and add anything to it, it changes it. I don't know if you were here back several months ago when we talked about grace and adding to it and how it changes it, but I I remember having a bottle of water and a lemonade packet. And I said, I got a bottle of water, and this is just water. But the minute that I add the lemonade to it, it's no longer just water. It's now lemonade or Kool-Aid or whatever it is that I'm adding to this. It becomes what you add to it. And grace is the same way. Grace that, that God offers is a pure grace, but the minute we start adding something to it, it changes it into something that's completely different. And so God comes and says, this is, this is what, what I want you to see, is that it's grace and grace alone. This is the story of what's happening and, and what the writer of Hebrews is trying to correct. So here's, here's what happened. Jews were converted to Christianity by, by grace and grace alone. They put their faith in Christ by grace alone and were saved by Jesus alone. And, and they came into that faith walk with Jesus and it was so real and it was so fresh. It was, it was a, a departure from Judaism and, and all the rules and the sacrificial system and all the, the stuff that was required of them. And it was just meet Jesus and fall in love with him and, 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 and follow him. And all your sins are forgiven and all the debts are paid and Jesus died on the cross and everything's taken care of. And it was the best message these Jews had ever heard. And they came by the bucket loads to Jesus. And then the honeymoon begins to wear off. And, 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 and the, the Jewish temple is still in operation. They're still offering sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. And so begins, what begins to happen for the Jews is this, that, that they begin to, to kind of settle into their Christian faith. And they're still looking over there at the temple, seeing their friends going. And at first they're going, man, I can't believe they're still hung up in that. can't believe they're still doing that. But like it is for you and I, when when they began to try to live out their faith, they still stumbled and they still fell because they're still a part of that old nature that that, that needs to be crucified and and put to death. And so that became this daily struggle. and, And what began to happen for the Jews of that day, the Christian Jews, is that this sin that they were still kind of involved in. They didn't know what to do with the guilt of that sin. They knew that grace had saved them, but they hadn't quite learned that grace could sustain them. And so they, they try to live for the Lord and they fall. Like, I got to try harder. I got to work harder. I got to, I just got to, you know, and they, they come up with their to-do. I just got to love Jesus more. I just got to read my Bible more. I just got to pray more. 
I've got to serve more. I've got to do all these things more. And, and they began to do that, and yet the guilt just wouldn't go away. And they weren't sure what to do. And, and here's what began to happen for those early Jews that had become Christians. They say, well, always before when we sinned, we, we would go to the temple and just offer a sacrifice and show God that we were sorry. It, it couldn't hurt to, to do that, too. I mean, I want God to know. Have you ever, you ever fallen flat on your face and, 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 and you're so embarrassed with what you've done? You're so guilt-ridden by the sin that, that, that has come back that you thought you had killed, you thought it was gone, and now it's back, and, and, and you just feel terrible. And you go, oh, and you just want to beat yourself up for about a week to prove to God that you're really sorry. Y'all ever done that? I, that, was, that was me. And, and you, just, you want God to know, God, I don't want to just say I'm sorry, but I want to do something and show you that I'm sorry. Well, that's where the Jews were. They would mess up and they go, okay, God, I, I, I confess I messed up, but surely there's something I can do to prove to you. So they gradually began to drift back to the temple, holding on to their Christian faith and claiming that they're saved by grace and, and, and that they belong to Jesus. But Jesus, I want to show you I'm sorry, so I'm going to go and we're going to offer the sacrifice that Moses required. And, and, and that'll show you that we're really, I mean, if I give you one of my animals, and that's showing you that I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of helping to pay the, the debt for what I've just done that was wrong. And they began to drift back into that lifestyle. So they had come to know Christ. These, these, these people that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews, they, they knew Christ. But, but they're struggling with their sin. And, and, and they knew that all their past was dealt with. But they weren't sure what to do with these current sins. And so in their mind, we can show God that we're serious by going back to what's familiar by offering a sacrifice, by doing that. And as we'll see as we work our way through the book of Hebrews, they had begun to neglect gathering together as believers, and they were now spending their time gathering at the temple and offering the sacrifices and going back into some of that system. They were trying to live this dual thing, this grace plus. And the writer of Hebrews, with a pastor's heart, begins to call them back to grace and grace alone. This is the message of it. Ju- Judaism had its formula. You, you sin, you offer a sacrifice. You sin, you pay the price. You sin, and, 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 and then you've got to go show God that you're sorry. It was familiar. They'd done it all their life. It was convenient. Man, you can, you can knock it out today and just move on and not feel guilty. It was easy. They had a rule for every situation. You do this, offer this kind of sacrifice. You do that, oh, bigger sacrifice. You do that, oh, my goodness, you know. There was a rule for everything. There was a sacrifice for everything. It was familiar, it was easy, it was convenient. And so they drifted back toward the old familiar ways. And it felt like slipping back into an old pair of warm slippers. They talked about the grace of Jesus and how good it was to be forgiven. How good it was to to know that when I die, I get to go to heaven. But they lived as if grace wasn't enough. And so to these Jewish Christians, the writer of Hebrew pleads, he says, I want you to see the danger of trying to add on to grace. I want you to see the danger of, of grace plus. And I want you to realize that when you add to grace, you change it. You, you pervert it. You turn it into something other than grace. And this is still very much an issue for us today. 
It's an issue in the, in, in the movement called Christianity today. To, to take grace and say, yeah, I need grace to get saved. I realize that I'm a sinner and, and, and that I fall short and I can't do anything to get God to love me. So I need grace so I can be saved and all my sins can be forgiven. And when I die, I can go to heaven. I need grace for that. But then we tend to forget that we need grace to sustain us every day after that. There's many who believe and teach that they're saved by grace but they're kept by what they do. They're they're saved by grace, but they're kept by their works. And and that is a grace plus theology. It's it's what we called a while back the the goodness gospel, that, 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 yeah, I'm saved, but but, but I I stay saved by by doing the right things. And, And grace plus is very appealing to us as human beings. We, we want to be able to take a little bit of credit for where we're at. Well, the reason I'm here and, and they're there is I've just made good choices. I've just kept the rules. I've just done what God's asked me to do. And that's why I'm here and, and, and you're not. And it can become very judgmental, very prideful. Uh, we, we, we also don't like to, to be dependent upon anybody. Grace says that I'm dependent upon God for everything. That I bring nothing to the table but a filthy sinner. And that God provides the rest. And we don't like that position that that puts us in. It makes us beholding to God. And we don't like to be beholding to anybody. We don't like to owe anybody anything. We also don't like to admit that we were spiritually bankrupt. And still are. Apart from God's grace. And so it's a lot more comfortable To have a grace plus mindset, a grace plus theology. It appeals to our flesh. But grace plus makes us prideful. And it leads to a a drifting away from the grace that God brings us. It can create within us this judgmental attitude. Even if we don't speak it through our mouth, we, we think it in our hearts. And we label others. We say things like, well, shame on you. When what they really need is grace on them. Another danger of grace plus is this. And this is so real. Is it leaves us as believers insecure in our faith. Grace brings great security. There's nothing I can do to earn it, nothing I can do to keep it. There's nothing I can do to deserve it. It's all God. And that's, there is a security in that. But when I add grace plus, then the question is, okay, I know, I know Jesus' grace will go this far, but now I've got to build upon that, and, and, I've got, and, and then the question lingers. Have I done enough? You know, I, I didn't sin bad this week, so... This is what I need to do. But, but what if I sin big next week? What if I really, really blow it? Is that grace enough to cover that? And it leaves us insecure. It leaves us going, have I done enough for God to love me? Have I done enough for God to accept me? Have I done enough to make God proud? And, and, and when we live with this grace plus, it's a, it creates this, this insecurity in us. 
It's almost like if you're living with your spouse and, and they love you as long as you get it right. But they always hold over your head. You get it wrong and, and I could be gone tomorrow. There's an insecurity there. God's love is not like that. God's love is grace and grace alone. But when we try to add to it, it creates this great insecurity inside of us. Am I acceptable? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? What, what about that sin last week? How do I make that up to God? And that's a terrible way to live. It creates fear instead of setting us free from fear. And, and, and despite the dangers of this grace plus mentality, we see it a lot in churches and in denominations where they talk a lot about Jesus, they talk a lot about grace. When, when, when you talk with them, they're, they're going to sound a lot like you sound, but there's always this add-on. It's, 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 yeah, Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus was God's son, and Jesus was resurrected. We'll give you all that, but, but now you, you need that plus you need to join our church. You need that plus keeping the sacraments. You need that plus Showing some, some sorrow, some penance, some other things. And, 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 you know, or you need that plus these works that I'm going to give you. And maybe unknowingly, these denominations will put people into a place of great insecurity. And it's hard to thrive and to grow in your faith when that's the case. Some denominations do it formally and saying, you know, keep these sacraments, join this church, keep these rules. Others may do it uh, informally by saying, you know, if you, if you don't watch out, you could lose your salvation. If you cross this line, that may be a bridge too far and you may be lost. Well, then that adds the insecurity. Am I saved today or lost today? And it's this emotional roller coaster of, of yeah, I feel really good and I feel close to God and, and, and I feel great, so I must be saved today. I mean, I'm struggling tomorrow and I just don't know if, if I died right now, if God would, would let me into his heaven. And it creates this roller coaster because it's grace plus. And what if that plus is not enough? But it's not just denominations that do that. It's us as individuals that do that to ourselves. We get laden with guilt. And we feel the need to prove our repentance by doing things to get God's forgiveness. We, we, we try to long for something tangible that we can do to show God that we really do love him. Instead of just loving and rela- living in relationship with him. It's not just churches that do it, but it's us as individuals. And I know that this occurs. I know it firsthand because it's happened to me. I am that true story that I started with. Growing up in church, learning the rules, learning that it was better for me when I did right than it was when I did wrong. And learning to, even when there was a struggle or even when there was a failure, to pretend that everything was still good. And it was, it was polished on the outside, but it was dead on the inside. That was me. I'm the one in that story. And I'll tell you this, that kind of life robs you of your joy. It, 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 it quenches the spirit and the movement of God. It hinders our relationship with him. And here's what I've come to, to realize, even as I prayed through a lot of this stuff on my sabbatical, 
is that that mentality bled over into my parenting. So it didn't stop with me. I was excited for my kids when they did right. I was disappointed in my kids when they did wrong. And I inadvertently, unaware, pushed those rules instead of trying to cultivate that heart. Insisted upon the outward instead of focusing upon the inward. But it didn't just influence my parenting. It influenced my pastoring. I look back at, at, at the, the 28 years that I've preached here and I go, how many times did I say, okay, you want to be a good Christian? Here's three things you need to do. And guys, we can do those three things from a wicked heart and still not be right with God. Here's another 12-step program and still not have our heart submitted and, 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 and covered in the grace of of God that really changes us. So I say to my kids, and I say to you that, that I'm sorry I drifted that way. I'm sorry that I allowed that grace plus to even work its way into my mindset. It's what was natural for me. By the grace of God, that's, that's changing. By the grace of God, we, we don't want to go back to that. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, and we're about to jump into this text, is that Jesus is enough. He is superior. He is supreme to to everything. He's going to take the the first part of the book of Hebrews and show us how that Jesus is is more supreme than than any prophet who's ever come before, than than any leader who's ever come before, than even the angels of God who who are are elevated into the, the heavens. He's greater than his creation. He's greater than than the prophets, than the priests. He's greater than than any priest who ever stood and offered sacrifices in the temple. Jesus is greater than all of that. And he's greater than all that because he brought us something that none of those things could bring. He brought us grace, pure grace that takes us right where we are and loves us. Loves us despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion, despite all those things, he pursues us while we were still enemies of God. That's the grace of God. So the message of Hebrews is is this, this message that Jesus is enough, that the grace that he brings is enough, that the Jews of that day and the Christians of today don't need to run back to the temple, don't need to develop this long to-do list. We just need to love God because of the grace that he's already poured out upon us. And when we understand that unconditional love and that grace that he pours out on us, it does something in our hearts that makes us want to love him back. It's the difference between get to and got to. My, my spirit is brought alive and I get to show the Lord that in the way that I live, in the way that I treat others, in the way that I parent or the way I pastor or the way that I'm a friend. I get to. I don't have to. There's a big difference, and I want you to grab this as we start this study, a big difference in living for grace and living from grace. I'm going to do this so that God will pour out his grace. That's living for grace. Living from grace says, 
Everything I have has come from the Lord. Every blessing, every breath, everything has come from him. It is a gift from God. And as a result of that gift, I just want to give it back to him. Big difference in living for grace and for approval and living from grace and from God's approval. So if you struggle with those types of things the way that I have struggled with those things, then I think this study will be for you. I think it will be a big help to see and to show you and to reaffirm in your faith that that, that grace is enough. Not grace plus, but just pure grace. That it's enough. So in our remaining time this morning, I want us to turn to the book of Hebrews. And, and we're gonna, this morning, we're going to do a quick overview of chapter 1. Uh, we're not going to dive into every single word and every single detail like we sometimes do. But I want you to see how the, the, the writer of Hebrews starts with these Jews. And he's trying to show them, because of their Jewish heritage, they're very familiar with the Old Testament, all the prophets and all the priests and all the kings who've come before. They know all of that. And Jesus is going to show them that, that even all of that Old Testament stuff, Jesus is greater and then he's going to talk about the created order, that when God created, he's, he's got, you know, God's got the plants and animals, uh, then he's got his human beings, and then over that he's got the angels, and he's got this, this ranking, this order, and, and he's going to show them that Jesus is even greater than the angels. So chapter one, real quick, let's just kind of skim through what he's saying here today, and we're going to pick up with some of this next week and really start beginning to unpack how that Jesus is all sufficient in all of these ways. So chapter one, verse one. He's writing to Hebrews, which are the Jews of that day. They were Hebrews when they were in Egypt, right? They were called out of Egypt. They've been saved now, but they are the Hebrew people that have come to know Jesus. He's writing this book to Jewish Christians, and he says this to those Jews who were familiar with the Old Testament. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So how did God communicate to the people in the Old Testament? through the prophets, okay? Many times and in many different ways, God spoke to their forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, in the days since the coming of Christ, he says, he has spoken to us by his son. So here's what he's saying. God used to reveal things to us through the prophets, but he sent us something better. He sent us his son. His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So here's Jesus, who is the son of God. He is the heir of all things that belong to God. He was the one who created the world with God. John chapter 1 makes that super clear. And then he says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the full manifestation of the glory of God. How many times in the Gospels do we see Jesus saying to the disciples, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? And I don't mean physically, but you want to know what what God's character's like? You want to know how, how God responds? Look at Jesus. He is the full and the final revelation of God. So people say, man, I wish I could just see God. Look at Jesus. Because this is what he's saying here. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's that full manifestation of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint. What's he saying? It's, it's a picture back that they would have been familiar with, but you know how kings back then had the signet rings, okay? And they would take that, that, that medallion and, and they would melt some hot wax and they would stamp that ring in it. And when they pulled the ring out, it left the exact imprint. That's, that's Jesus, the exact imprint of God. The, the full and final revelation of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. 
And he upholds the universe. So he's the sustainer of the universe by the word of his power. But he didn't stop there. He made purification for sins. In other words, he took upon himself our sin. And, and as the priest would go into the, the, the temple and into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices and offer the blood of the bulls and the goats that, that were required in the Old Testament law, Jesus, it says in the book of Hebrews, and we'll get to this, but Jesus went into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of Almighty God, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own precious blood. And that blood made purification for our sins. So Jesus died the death that we deserved. He suffered for the sins that we've committed. And his blood covers our sins, past, present, and future. That's the key. What do we do with the guilt of today? We understand that the grace of God didn't just cover my past, but the grace of God covers my sin today, and it will cover my sin tomorrow, and it will cover my sin for the rest of my life. He made purification for all of our sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, remember last week we looked at the, the, the tabernacle and we studied all the furniture that was in the tabernacle and what, what each of those pieces could symbolize? Did you notice there wasn't a chair in the tabernacle? The priest never got to sit down because his work was never finished. Jesus finished. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. It's done. It's all taken care of. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's exalted to the highest place of honor, the right hand of the majesty on high. And having done that, it says here, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jews had this, this high estimation of angels. They knew in the created order that there was the grass in the fields. There were the animals who ate the grass in the fields. There were the people who ate the animals. And there's these angels that are above. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, you're going to say that Jesus was made a little bit lower than the angels. What's he trying to say? He was made human. And for a little while, he was made lower than the angels. Jesus took on flesh. And he's ranking this, that, that, that there's the, the grass and there's the animals and then there's the humans and then there's the angels. And he's saying here that Jesus is even greater than them. Look at what he says. He, he was as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Say, so what's the name that he inherited? He's about to tell us. Here's the name that God gave Jesus. He says, For which, to which of the angels... Did God ever say? So he's saying, Jesus is superior to the angels. How do we know it? Because God never called the angels what he called Jesus. So what did he call Jesus? You are my son. Never said that about an angel. A son is greater than an angel. I know some of you think your sons are angels. But sons are greater than angels. Okay? He's talking about this relationship. He says, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Here's what he's saying. Today I declare that I'm your father. Today I say that you're my son, but I also say that I'm your father. In other words, you came forth from me. I sent you. 
Or again, he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will be a father to him and he will be to me a son. So in these two little quotes that he takes out of the Old Testament, he's saying, here's the relationship. He's my son and I'm his father. Here's the role. I will be a father and he will be my son. So we're talking about the relationship and the roles here. And then again, he says, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says this, let all God's angels worship him. Who else does scripture record that God allows his angels to worship? No one but God. No one but God. But yet God allows the angels to worship Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is above the angels and Jesus is God. Or of the angels, verse 7, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Jesus had created the angels, and, and, and now they serve his purpose. They are under his authority. Remember when Jesus approached the cross and he says, I could call down 10,000 angels right now, and they would get me out of this. But that wouldn't accomplish the purpose for which I've come. Jesus is greater than the angels. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, the greatest thing that you can think of besides God is the angels. And the writer of Hebrews says, let me just tell you right now, Jesus is greater than all that. Jesus is greater than all those angels in every way. So of the angels, he says, he makes his, his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But, no, he's make, making a contrast. But of the sun, he says, look at this language. So of, of the angels, they're ministers, okay? But of the sun, he says, your throne. So this is God speaking about Jesus. Speaking to Jesus, and he says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. What does God call Jesus? God. What does he give him? A throne. How long will that throne last? Will it last as long as David's throne? It will last longer than any throne on earth. It will last forever. Again, the superiority, the the supremacy of, of Jesus. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions jesus is superior to the angels and then verse 10 and and he says and lord you laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning so here's jesus as the creator of the heaven and the earth you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands now they will perish but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment and like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But, here's the comparison, the contrast, but you are the same and your years will have no end. Jesus is eternal. So he's superior to the angels. He's superior to his creation. And then he goes back to angels in verse 13 and says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He's saying, what, what, what angel has God elevated to that level? None, but he's done so for his son. Are they not all, who, are the angels not all just ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? In other words, Jesus, God's saying here, the angels were sent to serve you. And, and, and so was Jesus. But you know what? Jesus is superior to all of those. And then he gives a warning as a pastor. He's, he's elevated Jesus above the angels. And now as a pastor kind of concluding that thought, he, he brings in this conclusion 
It's an application. It's okay, so what does that mean and, and what do I do with that? And here's what he tells us at the beginning of chapter 2, real quick. He says, therefore, Dalton, what does that mean? We always ask, what does it mean when you have to see the word therefore? You've got to ask, what's it there for, right? So here we go. He, he's just made this statement. He's just made this claim about who Jesus is. He says, therefore, because Jesus is greater, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard. So he says in the beginning of chapter 1, Jesus is this great revealer. He, he has revealed more about God than any prophet, priest, or king ever could have done. He is the exact radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus has, has led us. He said, if you want to see God, look at me. I'm God in the flesh. God clothed with skin. And he says, and because of that, we must pay close attention, more close, much closer attention to what we have heard, to the gospel that Jesus has made known. Why is that so critical that we pay closer attention? What he's going to say to the Hebrews in this letter is, your hearts have grown hard, your, your minds have begun to drift, your heart's kind of going back to Judaism. You need to, you need to see that. You need to wake up and go, am I drifting? Am I drifting? He says, Make, pay much closer attention to what you've heard lest we drift away from it. Here's what he's saying. Your life must be anchored to the gospel. Not the gospel plus. Not grace plus. You've got to be anchored to the gospel because if you're not, you're going to drift off. And you're going to drift naturally back to what's familiar, what's comfortable, what, what was just easy. These guys were beginning to experience some persecution. They were beginning to, to, to move from all those outward sins that were obvious and, and kind of easy to deal with to the inward stuff that nobody else saw that they could just kind of ignore. And so what happens is he calls them back and he says, I need you to be anchored to the gospel lest you drift away from it. And, and then... He brings back in the angels once again. He says, remember how when the angels delivered messages to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to all those leaders, and God would meet with them underneath a tree, and he would send two men along to, to talk to Abraham, or he would send another angel to, to deliver a message. And, and he says this, he says, since the message that was declared by the angels proved to be reliable, it was true, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, the angels spoke, this is what you need to do, and if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen, and that came true. And when you disobeyed, you suffered the consequence. If the message that the angels delivered was reliable and, 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 and carried with it the results that God promised, then how will we escape if we neglect this even greater revelation given to us by Jesus. That's what he's saying here. How will we escape if we neglect, if we fail to pay proper attention to the great salvation that Jesus revealed? Everything in the Old Testament, guys, we've talked about this. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture pointing forward to Jesus. And we get the choice where we can, we can have the picture or we can have the person. Ryan's here today, but Ryan lives off in College Station. And I will guarantee you this, if I have a choice between looking at a picture of Ryan 
or having Ryan right in front of me, I will choose Ryan every time. It's true for anybody that you love. If you can say, well, just, you know, I don't, Ryan doesn't need to come visit. I got a picture of him. I'd rather have the person than the picture. And that Old Testament, the angels presented us a picture of what was to come. But Jesus has brought us the reality. And he says, if, if, if what the angels taught us was binding, how much more binding is what Jesus showed us? If what the angels gave us was, was, was important, how much more important is it that the, what, what Jesus gave us? And then he talks about this salvation that Jesus has revealed, the salvation that came by grace alone in Christ alone. And he says this, he says, it was declared at first by the Lord. Scripture says in, 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 in John chapter 1, you can look it up, verses 16 through 18, that, that, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay? So he's saying Jesus took what, what was, was given to us as a picture and he fleshed it out in front of us. And, 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 and Moses gave us the law, here's the rules, here's the five things you need to do, and here's the, the things you don't need to do. But Jesus came and says, let me pour out grace upon you and invite you into this relationship that all that stuff in the Old Testament has been pointing for. So this, this salvation was declared at first by the Lord. Then it was attested to us by those who heard, by the apostles and those that walked with Jesus. And, and it was attested to by them while God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that he distributed according to his will. Here's what he's saying. This message that came from Jesus was revealed by Jesus. It, it's been reported by the apostles. It's been repeated by those who've embraced it. it it's been confirmed by God through, through this, these signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those things that happened during the ministry of Christ, but also those things that happened at Pentecost and beyond. God has confirmed that this is real and that grace is real. And so he says, I need you to pay more close attention to that. To make sure that you understand. So as we read through the book of Hebrews and we begin to study this book together, I want you to understand the book of Hebrews is not primarily a theology book. Romans is high theology, deep theology, okay? The book of Hebrews is written by a pastor with a pastor's heart calling these people who are starting to drift back. And, and it's a pastor wanting to gather the sheep back around and say, listen, we've got to stay anchored to the grace. We've got to stay focused upon grace. Not grace plus, just grace. And he's calling his people back together and saying, listen, guys, I know that that was a part of your past, and I know that's familiar, and it's easy, and it's comfortable, but that's not the grace that Jesus offers us. It's not grace plus. So he's calling them back. It has theology in it, as every message ought to. But it's not primarily a deep theological book. It's a book with illustrations, a book with encouragement, a book with warnings and pleadings, and, and these illustrations that, that, that tend to drive home in the minds of the, the Jews what this writer is trying to say. He's trying to build up his people and to call them back. He's saying, pay closer attention to the gospel that Jesus gave you. If you don't, there's a danger that lies ahead. So let's apply this as we close real quick to our own lives. 
I've given you some facts. I've given you some background. I've given you some information. But what does that really mean to us today? How can I tell if I'm drifting away from pure grace into grace plus works? How do I tell if I'm drifting from grace? Maybe you should ask this question. Am I working for grace and for acceptance? Or am I working from grace and from his acceptance? Am I doing it to get God to love me? Or am I doing it because God already loves me? Have I somehow tried to change grace, to water it down, to add to it? Or am I striving to to, to remember every day that every day is to be lived by grace? How do you know? Ask yourself this. Am I living with the fear that somehow I just can't measure up? You ever feel that fear? Maybe, 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 Maybe God's just given up on me. Maybe I'm just not really measuring up. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. The fear that, that, that maybe you just haven't done enough yet to show God that you're sorry and that you love him. Maybe you wrestle with the, that fear that, that you're just not acceptable to God. You're not, you're not there yet. If those are things that you wrestle with, it could be that you've developed a grace plus mentality. A sign that, that maybe you don't truly believe in the depth of your heart that God's grace is enough. Do you serve to gain God's love or because you've already been given God's love? Do, do you serve because oh, I feel guilty if I don't? They said they needed nursery workers. Man, I hate kids. But I feel guilty. I feel guilty if I don't get up and volunteer. That's how we got Dalton to be a youth minister, by the way. You know? So do you serve out of guilt? Man, I'll feel bad if I don't step up. Somebody's going to do it. Or do you serve out of a grateful heart going, you know what? Everything Jesus gave for me, I can do that. Does guilt drive you or does gratefulness drive you? Do you you really believe and do your actions prove that you really believe that Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf was enough? to cover the worst thing you'll ever do? Or did he just go so far and he expects us to cover the rest? I'll give you a good down payment, but man, you got to make the notes every month. And I would say maybe one final test that would help us is to ask this. Are you more focused on keeping the rules than enjoying the relationship? Let me say this to you. If while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, opponents of God, he could love us and die for us, how much more do you think he loves us and his grace would cover us as his children? Think about what you would do for an enemy and what you would do for your child. If he loved us while we were his enemies back then, how much more does he love us now as his children? 
His grace is sufficient. I want us to build our lives upon that grace. Not grace plus, but that grace which is pure and unadulterated and and, and never ending. And to realize this, that when Jesus saved you back then, he already knew everything you were going to be today. No surprises. He knew your past sins, and he knew every sin that you would commit in the future, and he still chose to save you. Why? Because his grace was enough. If you haven't experienced that kind of grace, man, you need to come into that relationship with Jesus. It's not about works. It's not about the only thing you supply in this whole equation is a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you can supply that, God will supply the rest. And that love that he pours out and that grace that he bestows upon you will radically change how you move forward with God. It will give you the security that you need to get up today and tomorrow and the next day and say, you know what, I'm a child of God and I'm still imperfect and God's still working on me and I still need his grace. But by that grace, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to love the Lord better than I loved him yesterday. That's what the grace of God will do. And that's what we call you to. Not to a church that can promise you if you'll join my church, you'll go to heaven. That's not true. What we have to offer you today is simply this. A God who is gracious, who is loving, who is long patient, who is kind, who will forgive your sins and allow you to become his. And out of that relationship and out of that grace will grow everything else that God desires for you to be. He's that confident in his grace. But you and I have got to admit that we're spiritually bankrupt and that we need a Savior who will meet us where we are and love us as we are and change us into the people that he wants us to be. Not by giving us more rules, but by giving us himself. Do you know that kind of Jesus? Have you met that kind of Jesus? Maybe today you're like I have been and you've discovered that maybe that you slipped back into a grace plus place. Maybe today you say to God, God, I don't want grace plus. I don't need grace plus. I just need you and I need your grace. And maybe today would be the day that you would do what the writer of Hebrews says and said, let's take it more, more careful. Let's, let's make sure that we're anchored to the gospel and that we're not just drifting into to dangerous waters. So wherever you're at today, if you need Jesus right now, you can bow your heart before Christ and say, God, I need you, and I want that grace that Rob talked about today. Don't deserve it, could never earn it, but man, I need it, God. Or maybe you're already a believer, and you're where these these people in Hebrews were, and, and you're just starting to drift. And you hear a pastor say to you today, come back. Don't go into those dangerous waters. Come back to the to the place of grace. And let God restore and renew the joy and the fellowship that you once had with him. Let's pray together, guys.